0: In that is the whole question of like, why podcast? For me, there's a couple of things. Probably the primary reason is that it's the best way that I've found for meeting new people. Taking internet friends, somebody you follow on Twitter, you've been on their newsletter, any of that, and bringing them into real life.
1: Hey there, welcome to Brands That Podcast. Each week, we talk with the people running podcast strategies at successful brands so you can learn how to grow your company through podcasting. Today's guest is Nathan Berry, the founder of ConvertKit. ConvertKit is a wildly popular platform that makes it easy for creators to market and grow their projects whether that project is a book, podcast, album, or really anything else. At the time of this recording, there are about $2.4 in monthly recurring revenue. And if you're curious about their other metrics, they make them publicly available at convertkit.bearmetrics.com. I wanted to chat with Nathan because of a few reasons. First, he's been an avid podcaster long before it was popular, especially long before it was popular among B2B or B2C brands. In addition to running ConvertKit, he runs The Art of Newsletters, a show which he originally started back in 2014, where he interviews bright entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Additionally, the ConvertKit team currently runs a podcast network of three shows, and Nathan himself has guested on dozens of other podcasts, including one really good interview that you should go check out with Pape Laya on his podcast, How to Win. Clearly, podcasting is an important channel for ConvertKit, and I was keen to learn the philosophy that Nathan had around it and get any insights he could share. Some of the things you'll hear in this episode are why Nathan started creating podcasts before they were popular, how they built the podcast network at ConvertKit and why, what was their reasoning behind it, advice for guesting on other shows, and how they think about the ROI of their podcast network and how there's this really neat interplay between the podcast and the rest of their content, along with a ton more insights. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on Brands that Podcast. I really appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: I'm excited to talk to you about all things podcasting. You stand out to me for a few reasons. Like I said in my email, I want to chat with you for a few reasons, one of which, and I guess like a good starting point for me that I'm curious about is it looks like Correct me if I get any of these numbers wrong. It looks like you started the Nathan Barry show in 2014. Right. Yep. So that's like five years before the earliest time possible that brands would have started podcasting or thinking of. I mean, the only people that were podcasting back then were people that were like super into it or were really, really early to the channel. So what led you to start podcasting? Like what got you interested in it to start back in 2014?
0: Yeah. So I was learning from a bunch of people from their podcasts. I'm trying to think who it was back then. Dan and Ian, who run a podcast called The Trop B.A., that was going strong back then. I'm trying to remember even who else. But a lot of people had podcasts. I was actively blogging. So I was a designer who got into blogging, was building an audience, an email list, all of that. Great, right. everyone's starting a podcast. I'll start one too. And so I ran that for maybe a year. The idea was to do it in seasons, but I effectively did one season and then got into building ConvertKit and then didn't bring the podcast back for or five years later.
1: You're currently running it right now, right? Like you just had... I am, yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, so I brought it back about a year ago.
1: Oh, okay, interesting. That was another question I had for you was, is that like a personal brand decision or just you want to get back to like your roots with that that started as like a passion project or just a chance to like have great conversations with other entrepreneurs and creators?
0: Yeah, okay. So in that is the whole question of like why podcast? For me, there's a couple of things. Probably the primary reason is that it's the best way that I've found for meeting new people. Taking internet friends, someone you follow on Twitter, you've been on their newsletter, any of that, and bringing them into real life. Or I guess it's still internet friends, right? But where you're actually having a conversation, you know each other, all of that. Sure. And podcasting is just so good for it. And so that's the biggest thing of meeting new people, growing my network, and then getting new customers to work in those people that I get to know, then they're often like, tell me more about ConvertKit. I've been thinking about it, thinking about switching over. So for my show, which is called Art of Newsletters, it's all about people who are building an audience online, running a newsletter. And so being able to interview about half the people who are already running newsletters on ConvertKit, and then about half who are running on some other platform that I want to bring over to ConvertKit. Okay. It's fantastic. for starting those conversations. So... That would be goal number one. Goal number two is putting this content out there of what does it actually take, right? Doing the educational and the teaching side of how do you actually build and grow a business? How do you build it, or build and grow an audience and turn it into a business? And that content feeds my personal newsletter, it promotes ConvertKit, and then most importantly it, it educates our whole network of everyone who uses ConvertKit. You know, there's 250,000 accounts, you know, that people have created and convert it and like 40,000 paying customers. And so it's teaching them, here's how to build a business. Here's how to be successful. And that training part is really important. So that's that side of it. And then the last thing is podcasts are one of the best idea generation places because you can riff on things. Mm. You know, someone asks a question, you answer it in a way that you didn't expect before or they say something that then sparks what you want to write about in your newsletter. Right. And so what I do for that. Is I use a service called Daily Content Machine, which takes the podcast, cuts it up into daily clips, finds the best segments, you know, writes headlines and all of that for it. And so I have this crazy library of, you know, 50 episodes worth of content that I can go back through and see, oh, how does everyone answer this question, right? Because every episode is transcribed, you know, and I have the seven best moments from every episode already pulled out and everything like that in a little clip. And so then if I'm looking for an example of, okay, how, let's say I want to do an article on how people are growing, doing the, their first 100 email subscribers. If I ask that question a bunch of different episodes, now when I write my article about it, I can pull in and be like, oh, Cheryl yeah. Dorsey from TBG Insights did it this way. Dan Runcie did it this way. I can pull that in. So it's just this great content and then also this amazing farm for ideas and everything else that I might want to write. Especially because the hardest thing when you're writing If you're not just writing from your own experience, if you're trying to write and like pull examples from the community is coming up with those examples. And so having the podcast as this engine that just feeds you example after example to use in content marketing is so valuable. So those are all the reasons that I podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh, my gosh, there's so much to dig into. A lot of them are like stuff we talk about on the show. And specifically, one that we I don't think we've ever covered though is what you just said, which is examples. It sounds like the use case of like how people at 11Pi, we're redesigning our website right now. And we have a section on certain pages where we're like, well, let's not just feature customers or just talk about this. Let's grab tweets from people that say they want this kind right. of thing or social proof that's just out there that's unrelated to us. And that is a super interesting use case for podcasts. Being able to grab examples of like, they did this, they don't need to have done it through your product or your method or whatever, but it's a chance for you to feature them in the content.
0: Yep, absolutely. Having a good process for collecting testimonials is really important. You know, it's the same kind of thing. And so podcasting is just doing that for examples and everything else, because you always get to that point, whether you're writing a homepage or an article where you're like, oh, I need a perfect example. In my writing. Okay. Who's a creator who tried this? Who like worked really hard for two years and didn't see results for a while. Mm. You're like brainstorming, trying to come up who that might be. But if you have a database to go to then you can just pull that up and like scroll through your creators, scroll through the transcripts of the episodes and go, oh, there's a story that will fit nicely and make the point that I wanted to make. And then I come across so much more credible in my writing when I'm not just like, this is what I did. It's like, this is what I did and here's what these other four people did. Here's
1: what you can learn from it. Yeah. How are you structuring that? Is it like an air table or like some database or... Notion. Okay. I guess for anyone who's listening... On the practical side, if they're looking to do the content machine play, what are some like main fields that you find especially helpful as they pull those clips from that are like go-to for you?
0: Yeah. So, well, one important thing is I don't categorize the clips or do any of that. That is what this daily content machine service does, Okay, you know, and so they're uh, like a productized agency. They make all those clips and everything. And so they pull those out. So there might be other great moments in the podcast but I just trust that their seven that they put together are the best ones, and that's good enough for me. And so then it's just a matter of dropping that in the Notion database. I don't do a very good job of tagging things. That would be a good thing to level up, you know, is like what tags you're using to describe it. But yeah, it's really helpful to come back to. Right. The part that is still relatively early that I want to add more to, I want to plug it more into ConvertKit's ecosystem. Because for ConvertKit, we do three different or four different types of content. We have our ConvertKit creator sessions, which are when we work with musicians, because we have a lot of musicians as customers. And so we work with musicians to do these like amazing at home or in studio concerts, then talking about their art and their craft. Oh wow. And then we do written stories that we do about creators. So like one of my favorite creators is a guy named Kay He, who runs Rad Reads. And we have both a written version of his story and a filmed version. Oh, cool. And so our brand team will go and create all of that, write those stories, everything from there. And then we also do case studies as the last one. And a case study is more, less of um, your arc, how you became a creator, what motivates you, and more about how you launched a paid newsletter, how you did this other thing. And so a lot of the content that I produce for my show ends up going into some of those. Of Like we're doing a case study on paid newsletters then the team is coming to me and saying, hey, Nathan, who have you interviewed who's running a paid newsletter? And they'll run through all of my archives. Okay. But what I want more of is like a better integration there where we're all using the same content database. Yeah. Uh, And it's just a matter of setting it up. Because I do the same thing where the person, when I'm writing an article, I go to Isa on her team. She heads up all of our stories. And I'm like, Isa, tell me about a creator who showed up consistently every single day but didn't have a breakout success for at least two or three years. So we like stayed consistent over time. And she's like, oh, well, here's the three stories that we've written on that. Yeah, And then I can pull in examples and basically having this engine powering all of this is so powerful. I guess another thing, we have this other podcast called The Future Belongs to Creators. That's more of a talk show, more of an interview show. And sometimes they're looking for guests for that. They want to tackle a particular topic. Should you launch a paid newsletter and have like a conversation about it? Mm. Then they'll look through the other shows that we've done, the interviews that we've done, and be like, oh, let's reach out to any of these three people to see if they want to come on as a guest. So it's like this whole ecosystem of content. And the podcasts, honestly, are not that popular right now as far as round number of downloads, but they're very powerful in feeding this flywheel.
1: It's so interesting. So this gets talked about a lot. Like this seems to be really picking up steam. It feels like this was semi-new in 2020, but now if you're on LinkedIn at all, like, so many brands are looking to start a podcast and content directors or content managers are beginning to believe in podcasting for this flywheel effect like exactly what you said okay, right. take one episode turn it into 20 posts one article etc cetera, etc cetera. but the ecosystem the interplay of the back and forth is something i don't hear a lot of people talk about that's super interesting for me like so to your point it's not just that the podcast is churning out social posts or article ideas or like reference clips that you could put but that you're actually able to go back and look at a guest repository, so you can do an article write-up, yeah, or vice versa, and this interplay between them, yeah, it's super interesting.
0: And I think the reason it's not really happening is because it's really hard, because you both have to first design the system. And we hired um someone who's really good at Notion, her name's Marie Poulin. We hired her and her team to put the system together for us, and then we're just going in and updating and adding to the content and. The thing is, it's only as good as the effort that you put into it. Mm. And so we're at the point where we're putting in an acceptable amount of effort, but it could be so much better if we put in more time. It's just we're all busy with our main things that we're doing to build and grow ConvertKit.
1: Yeah, makes a ton of sense. So I want to talk about the podcast. Do you think of it as like a podcast network? Like you've got three shows on the website right now in addition to your show. Do you anticipate growing that in the future and continuing to add?
0: I think we're going to add one more, which is a creator sessions podcast. So trying to use so much more of the content that we make with these creator sessions and bring more of that to life in audio form. We're on the fence about it, honestly, because I think one mistake that you could make is continuing to launch new shows rather than like growing the ones that you have. Yeah. So we might have even gone too far in having too many shows and then not enough effort into growing each one is growing podcasts. It's really hard. You and I were just riffing on this before we hit record. Yeah. of like, what do you actually do to grow a podcast? We know, put out great content, show up consistently, (laughs) promote it somehow, you know? And so, I think it could be a mistake to launch too many shows. We might launch this one more or we might decide, look, we're going to keep it at just the number that we have. Because each of our podcasts, you know, are in the thousand downloads an episode kind of territory. And that's, For a brand of our size, that's just not that significant. So the only reason they're worth doing right now from an ROI perspective is
1: because of how they feed the rest
0: of this flywheel. And so that's a decision that we had.
1: Do you think it's enough for you? Like I was going to ask philosophy of ROI for that. I know some brands are like purely subscribers downloads. And maybe if they're not thinking about it as fully orbed as you are, which I think is the right way is like. How many visits to a landing page is this driving, which is, I think, a terrible way to measure the North Star metric of the success of a show or the worth of a show. But is the flywheel that it's the ecosystem you've got it in and growing that ecosystem, is that sort of the foundational ROI and and worth it in and of itself? And anything on top of that is nice? Or how are you thinking about when would you cut a show? How are you thinking about the worth of those branded shows?
0: Well, most shows only get cut when the talent on the show gets tired of it. So you have to keep that in mind. So many things in the creator world rise and fall based on the motivation of the person working on Which, by the way, is a terrible recipe for success. Because if we're doing a podcast or a newsletter or software company or anything, you're going to lose motivation so far before you're going to see results. If it's riding on motivation, you're dead in the water. You might as well give up to begin with. So the things that we look at and measure, we definitely measure downloads and subscribers, because I think it's important to have an honest assessment of where you're at, right? Yeah. Don't delude yourself into thinking like, oh yeah, the show is doing so well. And it's like, look, it got downloaded by a hundred people. Maybe it's having a huge impact on them, but a hundred people is still a hundred people. right? Whereas when we do workshops, you know, teaching something, we'll get 3000 people to show up. So is that a better use of time? But then also we think a lot about how something is building a deeper relationship with our audience and customers. Right. We want someone to use ConvertKit not just because it's the best creator marketing platform, you know, or the best thing for this one service or or aspect of it. We want them to have like a real amount of brand affinity mm. to know that ConvertKit is built by creators. And so a big thing that we're doing with these shows is you'll see, well, I'm not on any of the shows except for my own. Okay. And I'm not in the creator sessions and I'm not in these other things. I have the biggest profile, being the founder of the company, of anyone on the team. And so we're using the shows very deliberately to raise the profile of these other people on our team. So for example, she's absolutely brilliant. Her name's Alyssa, and she's our head of deliverability. And so she runs a podcast called Deliverability Defined. And now what happens, say we had a, a new account moving over to ConvertKit, 100,000 subscribers, and they have a question about deliverability. What's going to happen when I move from MailChimp over to ConvertKit? Right. If they're in the industry at all and they know that, they will have heard of Alyssa's podcast. And so when Alyssa is the person who chimes in and says, Oh, here's the plan on how we're going to do it. So your deliverability will increase. And they're like, Oh, whoa. I'm hearing from the expert in this. Yeah. Like she's known as an industry expert well beyond Conmerkit. And, you know, because people at other competitors are learning from her and all of that. And it's because of the podcast. Before the podcast, all that knowledge was hidden just inside of our own Slack and our own documentation. And so we've really elevated her profile, same thing across the board. And then that way, instead of ConvertKit being Nathan, it's this whole cast of characters. Think of it like the Marvel Universe or something, right? Yeah. You know, we're getting each person their show and elevating each person in there. I mean, effectively a whole network rather than relying on one person's internet audience.
1: Just for clarification, has she been internal or was she of like a personal brand? in the email space before and you went and hired her or just formed like a partnership with her? How did you like work that out?
0: Yeah, so Alyssa is someone that we hired onto our team from another email marketing company. So she was an industry expert already. And then over the last two or three years that she's been on our team, three years maybe, maybe a little more, she really leveled up all of her expertise. And then it was her idea to create this show and to start producing content to bring all that internal knowledge external. And I actually, we were sitting at dinner at a team retreat when she was like, I have this idea for a podcast. And it's been a really great thing. Still relatively small based on number of downloads, but pretty high based on reach. And then when you get a big change, Apple with making changes in iOS 15 for open tracking and stuff like that, then all of a sudden everyone's going to Alyssa and saying, what do you think about this? So then it's Alyssa from ConvertKit is the expert talking on this topic. We've always had great deliverability, but now we're known for having great deliverability. And there's a big difference there.
1: Yeah, that's a really great case study of that. I'm curious what you think. Like it sparks a question of other brands that would consider just handing over a microphone to internal experts on their team. Mm -hmm. Do you think companies, I don't really have an opinion. I haven't seen a lot out there because there's not a lot of networks built yet. But do you think companies should be more bullish towards entrusting people who want to run with stuff like she did? Or do you feel like if you have five resident experts and your company's big enough, that could become five podcasts if they're equipped with the right infrastructure and everything to run it? I'm sure it's not quite that simple, but do you have any opinion on that? The ability to sort of use podcasts to empower these internal voices, which then benefits the brand as a residual effect?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's worth doing. You can go too big too fast, you know, and you expand horizontally. I would just think in real estate terms, right? So we have a piece of land and do you want to build a bunch of small things on it? This is turning into like a shopping center or a strip mall or something like that, right? We've got a radio shack, we've got a subway. I don't know what else is in there, right? There's a few of these stores and each one doesn't drive very much revenue. The building is not very tall or all that. Or we could take our piece of land and we could build a skyscraper, Mm. right? We can just go straight up and build something massive in that same space. And so I would think about what you're trying to do. If you go and take these five experts, create five different shows, you now have like these five separate buildings that you've got to work on and maintain. And maybe you don't have the infrastructure to grow all of those. And then three of those people actually don't know what it takes to be a podcaster. So they fizzle out after three months, six months, that kind of thing. The show disappears because no one else wants to take that on. I would think really hard about doing that thing. Instead, I'd probably look for, who are the people who... Well, first, what's the overlap between those? If I have five experts, and if I put this all in a Venn diagram, can I find the overlap of the topics that they care about where they can make one show or maybe two shows? And then the next thing that I would do is whatever shows come out the other side, we're like, okay, let's say we make two or three shows out of this. I would have them record at least five episodes, if not 10 episodes before publishing anything. Okay. Okay. Because the fun momentum is like, oh, I recorded the first episode that was so fun. Let's publish that. We got a second episode that was good. Third episode, it's a little hard to find time to record. We're busy this week, but we'll get it out there. Fourth episode happens, but it's a week late. Fifth episode, like, doesn't really happen. You know, like it yep. just loses momentum. Yeah. And so I would have people record five episodes and then say, okay, is this something that we want to do? We now know how much work it is. Wow. It's not just yeah. a random idea in our heads. This is a lot of work. And then look at how many ideas you still have for, for uh, continued episodes. Because if you just recorded five episodes and that was all five of your ideas for show topics, maybe you shouldn't do this show, you know? Yeah. Because like you'll yeah, stretch yeah. and come up with 10 ideas, but it's going to be short-lived. Yeah. The last thing that I would say is I'd recommend doing the shows in seasons. Mm. And so don't do it continually. That's one thing with deliverability defined. They will produce a season of shows and then they'll stop for a while. Okay. And then they'll come back and do a season again. This is valuable because it's not someone's full-time job. And so you get to have momentum and effort on it and then take a step back and focus on the other things that you need to do. Also, when you come out with a new season, it gives you an opportunity to promote that. So you can say, hey, season three of Deliverability Defined is coming out. Tune in. Here's the plan for the episodes. Here's what we're going to cover this season. That kind of thing. And the last thing is it lets you package it up. So if you do Say a season is eight episodes long. It's however long you want to make it. Let's say it's eight episodes. And I do two seasons and then stop and that's it. I've got season one, which covers X, Y, and Z. Season two, that covers whatever other things. I can package both of those up. I can put them on the deliverability resources part of our site. And it can be done. Like we don't have to do a season three. Whereas if you start a podcast and get to 16 episodes, Mm -hmm. and you don't do the 70, then it fails. Like that podcast is like, it's just another dead podcast. Right. But if you package it up into seasons, then it makes sense. Like Seth Godin has his, what is it? Marketing school or startup? Kimbo? Well, uh, I was thinking of the-
1: Oh, okay, yeah, startup school.
0: Startup school, exactly. It's a podcast, but it's not a continual. Like it, he just right. made that, it was its thing. And no one's like, oh, Seth Godin's startup school podcast failed after 10 episodes or whatever. It's like, no, he deliberately made one season of a podcast and that is its thing. And so it gives you a lot, of more, a lot more flexibility. And then if you ever need to rotate cast members, you know, rotate your talent because someone needs the company or whatever else, right? Season four is coming out. And instead of these two people, it's now this existing host plus this other new person. And
1: you get this continuity across seasons and it's a lot better. So I'll go back to my original question in a moment, but this leads, I'm curious to have you not challenge my thinking, but wait, tell me how you would think about this. So we would articulate it in the past as Consider doing seasons if either like there's constraints like what you just talked about, like people may churn, you only have a bandwidth or budget for a certain number of episodes, right. or if the content is more like evergreen, like cause Seth's stuff is going to be true. He typically tends to deal with more things that are fundamentally true about human behavior and business that in ten years that podcast will still be relevant. Yeah. Do you think that if someone listening is thinking about starting a show for their company, if they wanted to do a more news or time sensitive based show, does that still work? Because one of the things we would hear in pushback or concern might be like, it's interesting you said there's actually a benefit of seasons because it gives you something to relaunch and restart and make a fuss about online. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you hear different advice, which is like, keep going or else you're going to lose momentum. And if you stop a season, you have to work to get everyone's attention all over again about this season. So I'm curious to hear how you would think about that.
0: Well, first, the advice of keep going. Don't break the flow. Don't break that chain. Makes sense to me, right? My wife and I were just having this conversation about going to the gym. We're both pretty consistent now. Not a lot, and we don't push ourselves that hard, but twice a week we're in the gym, pretty much like clockwork. And we're talking about how the hardest thing is if we miss a day or miss a week or whatever, just making sure to get back into it. Because when you do break that, and it's like three months will go by and you'll be like, oh, remember when... I used to go to the gym consistently. Yeah. Remember when I used to podcast, you know, and it is this momentum to restart it. So doing it consistent like that, not ever missing something, uh, I think is really good. You can do that with seasons. One season can roll straight into the next season. What that does is it forces you to plan your content a little better, forces you to have an idea for each arc of what this is. In this season of this interview show, I'm going to talk to People who are specifically growing podcasts or in this season, I'm going to talk to people who are running local businesses who also are doing podcasts and online marketing, but they're primarily a local business. You know, any of those kinds of emphasis. The thing times that I think seasons don't quite make as much sense, because I don't do seasons for the Nathan Berry show. Right. Is I think when you're trying to hit this just like consistent interview show where there's less continuity and less story between each episode. And it's more of like, look, this just happens to be the order. The people that the guests scheduled. Right. Trust me to come up with good guests, have a good conversation. Every week at this time, it'll be there waiting for you, in your podcast feed. So I think it depends on the type of content. But if I were doing highly produced or topical shows where it's not interview, I think I'd go for a season format every single time. And if I want to, I would just make them roll straight one season into the next instead of taking a month long break or a six month break.
1: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. The last thing on the network side of things is the concepts of the shows. I stole this term from, I think it's some exec at Amazon that coined it, but art versus algebra and there being like a spectrum or like a both. And that was something we've worked a ton with on brands is like trying to develop something. Like I think a lot of companies just start something that Mm -hmm. they're either doing it as like FOMO or just hopping on a trend, or the marketers are really, really opinionated about the exact show that they need. I'm curious, like you guys, you're so customer centered. You seem so in tune with your audience. How did the concepts for the current shows come to be? Was it mostly gut feel art? Was it a ton of research? How do you determine concepts? And is there any insights there you can share for people?
0: I think it's all pretty organic. You know, so I had a show that I wanted to restart as an interview show. So that was one decision. The next show, talking about deliverability defined, that was people on our team wanting to do the specific industry focused topic and then make it approachable for general creators. The show, The Future Belongs to Creators, actually came out of the pandemic and the lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic. And so Barrett, who was our COO at the time, he and I were just noticing that all of these creators were every day just like logging on, watching case count numbers. This is when, like, the COVID cases, you knew you're like, oh, there's a case in Seattle now. You yeah. Know? Oh, there's five cases in New York. And so we decided that we wanted to make a show that was all about helping creators channel like all of this anxious energy back into creating. It's like, yep, the world's falling apart, apart all around you. But like, what are you going to make today? And so it started as a daily show, five days a week. I'm trying to think how many episodes we did probably 70 or 80. Oh, wow. Just days in a row of doing it every single day. It was live. Live is a fun format to force you to show up, and if we'd have a conflict for some reason, we'd get other people to fill in for us. That was really how we elevated people in the company to talk about certain things. You know, so we could bring in Alyssa to talk about deliverability, Charlie, who's our creative director, talk about the brand or whatever else. It was much easier for them to, like Miguel, who now is on the cast of The Future Belongs to Creators. He just came on as a guest. He's on our. Um, customer success team. He's one of our success engineers. Okay, And so he just cares deeply about creators and is embedded in the space and all that. But, it, but it's a huge commitment to say like, why don't you launch a show? And it's a fairly light commitment to say, hey, why don't you come on this episode of this show with another co-host who's already there and we'll talk about whatever topic. I think he might've joined a Q&A show as one of the first things because we do Q&A every Friday. Okay. And so that's how it started. And then as we kind of got resettled into the flow of the pandemic, then we dropped it down to twice a week. And then eventually Barrett and I decided that our time was best spent elsewhere. That's when we gradually said, okay, who else wants to come on from the team and take over running this show? And we'll come back as guests and help promote it and all of that. And then we ended up with Charlie, who's our creative director, Haley, who is our producer, who's in charge of creator sessions. And then Miguel, who I mentioned before, you know, they have really taken the show and run with it for the last year. And it's continued to grow, it's elevated them. And it really contributes to this idea. In a lot of our marketing, we talked about ConvertKit as being built for creators by creators. So we get what creators need, build the product for them and all of that. And so having a show like this helped elevate that idea where we're able to talk about the different side hustles that people have. So many people on our team are podcasting and are working as creators that it reinforces those brand
1: messages. When you did the live show, this is something I've seen a couple companies start doing, mm-hmm. really compelling to me. Were you able to like take listener questions at the time and like yeah. live on the show and everything like that? Oh yeah, we did. It's a format that I think more people need to like consider doing, cause it's a cool way, especially with some of the like the streaming tools now mm-hmm. to be able to solicit questions on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever people are and incorporating them into your show. I think it's a really powerful way of adding something to your podcast.
0: Yeah, and so now it's every Wednesday at twelve thirty Eastern for thirty minutes. Our team is on there. There's this dedicated group of listeners, uh, probably twenty five or thirty or so, that are there live wow. every single week. Wow! And then it goes out to hundreds or uh, like about a thousand more, you know, in the podcast feeds and and everything. So the live questions make it fun. The audience interactions, you know, if you're listening, there's sort of the same cast of characters that. You hear writing in questions and everything else. So, and then it gives us a reason to talk about it every week. Cause that's the other thing is that yeah. it's going live at a set time. So we're sharing on Twitter and Facebook and other places and it and we're able to push people out to it.
1: Does the live feature of it and continually hearing all this customer feedback all the time, does it impact any product decisions that convert kit? Hmm. Does it help you just feel like you're more in tune with your audience in an ongoing way?
0: It's a good
1: question. We would
0: definitely ask questions. I think we did an entire episode once on, well, we did an entire one on announcing our new ConvertKit commerce functionality. Okay. You know, as we built out ConvertKit into a creator marketing platform, then we added this whole sell digital products, earn a living component. And so that gave us a platform to talk about it. We did like an extra long show, announcing it, demoing it and all of that. And then we've done other shows where we've talked about aspects of the product, whether it's new releases and then taking questions. We haven't done as much on maybe even just like a company town hall of, hey, what would you like to see us build? Mm. Uh, And that'd be a good platform for it. So it'd be fun to uh, bring that back at some point.
1: One of the thing I noticed when I was doing some research is you've been on, I mean, I I lost count, but I I stopped around 24. So I'm saying dozens of other podcasts over the past few years. I'm guessing these are mostly like you, was this an intentional effort on your part to get on them or just you just kept getting invites and saying yes to them?
0: They're just invites and saying yes, maybe with one or two exceptions where I've done a pitch. Okay. So, okay, let's talk about growing a podcast for a second. This is where I ask you questions.
1: Okay. (laughs) Let's
0: see. I know two ways to grow a podcast. One is be a guest on other people's podcasts because you're like, hey, this is an audience that is interested and they might be like, oh, this Nathan person sounds all right. Like I'll go check out Art of Newsletters or one of his other shows. And then pretty much other than that, you chop it up into clips and put them on social. (laughs) You link to it from your newsletter. Yeah. like Those are kind of the main ways. And so going on other podcasts I think is one of the best ways. And so that's what I do. Now I'm starting to be more deliberate about the level of podcasts that I go on. So what's an example we're recording this in late January I really like Sam Parr and Sean Purry's podcast my first million and so I was like oh you know and it's growing like crazy yeah okay, it's a big
1: podcast yeah we're fans
0: and I was finally like Sam I want to be on the show like have me on and he's like absolutely you know and so we're just recording that uh later this week there might be one or two other examples like that where my pitch has been like texting a friend and me like yo next time you get a guest like I'm in yeah but other than those things, like how do you think about growing a podcast?
1: There's definitely the overlap of what you said. Mm-hmm. We often tell people, sometimes we would it depends on the brand, it depends on their situation, and their goals. We would often advise them like if you're thinking about the two but you don't know that you can make the commitment to build the audience and do the whole show. Right. Going as a guest is a good way to get in front of a microphone and like cut your teeth and just see what the ecosystem is like even. Yep. But we did often say if you have a show, then it's a really compelling place to point them, because I think you're more likely to get them to like a better call to action is if you like this content, you'll probably love our content versus like, go buy our product right. or check out this landing page. So I do think there's a really good interplay there. Yep. The other benefits, like, as far as like going on other shows, for us, it's a big awareness and trust play for the brand. Mm-hmm. You're really well known, and that's what like we talked to Rand Fishkin, obviously anyone who's listening, formerly Maz Spark Toro. He's similar, and like he just gets invites like all the time so he'll just kind of pick and choose what he wants to say yes to and he said anecdotally it was the biggest way spark toro grew not with any like real data in front of him but he said most of it was like heard you on these shows right there's a ton of benefits being a guest on podcast but to your question as far as growing it i think the episode i'm keen to hear what you think about the episode with jonathan from hubspot we talked to one of the founders at pacific content they've played with a bunch of ways to grow I mean, they run podcasts for like Slack and Facebook and stuff. Right. They've said, I believe it was paid ads on other shows is another way that they've found some sort of measurable like way to grow. Jonathan and the team are trying all kinds of stuff. They're going heavy on TikTok. Right. They have tons of paid and organic ways, but I don't know that they had any like firm thesis they came away with. Like you saw just the other day, like Sam Parr tweeted, good content, keep at it. Like what more is there than that? This is a non-answer, but people don't appreciate how much infrastructure is built for things like SEO and paid ads that we can just go learn from decades of trial and error and experience. And this is so new. Jonathan, I wanted I said to you before we hit record, like I wanted to talk to him because I've never seen a company hire a podcast growth position before, ever. Right. So I'll be super keen to see what his findings are. But all we do is like for our purpose, we advise on the framework of where is your audience and how can you take the podcast content and present it to them natively and contextually. Mm -hmm. And we're advocates of, you know, it's like what you said, sometimes that's chopping up clips and putting it on social. But sometimes it's also like, is there a subreddit? Is there a LinkedIn group, a Facebook group? Is there an email newsletter that you can turn it into? But our big thing is like, don't be so arrogant as to demand or expect that 100% of your audience is going to be podcast listeners and ask them to leave where they're currently enjoying consuming content and coming over here to listen to this. Instead, isn't the end goal of your podcast really just to build brand trust awareness? Just go take those moments and deliver that value in a way that they want to consume them where they want to consume them. Mm -hmm. I will say like on a more technical end, some of the research I was doing, I think there are ways we saw some success of playing Spotify's relatively early in their search algorithm. They seem to be pretty keyword dependent right now. They just added reviews, so maybe some things that aren't as controllable will start to take place of where like you rank. But I think things like putting the keyword is a version of keyword research I think you can do when you launch a branded show. Yep. There's all kinds of like giveaways and competitions that My First Millions running. They've done things like hey, create a clips channel on TikTok and promote us or leave a review and you'll be entered to win this money or like all this different stuff. So there's ways to do that. But Jonathan seems to think, who I would defer to for like more expertise, he seems to think that the main thing is just the number of listens you get over a set period of time, the length of time that they're listening into the episode. So there's these variables that you really can't control unless your content's good and people want to check it out.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then on the other side, I'm wondering about at Lemon Pie, you're obviously producing, we're like helping um, produce shows, but then also a big part of it is booking people as guests on other shows. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we actually are only doing the booking shows. We ran a production wing for a while, but we've gone all in on the PR end is what we've done the longest. Got it.
0: So there are so many podcasts out there. And the thing that I'm wondering, I guess I have a two part question. One is, as someone getting these pitches to come on podcasts, I got the pitch from you to come on on this show. And at the same time, uh, Dan Putt, my executive coach, the next day or the same day happened to mention these friends with the founders at Lemon Pie. And they were, and I was like, oh, wow. Oh, I, you know, <laughs> like it was one of those things. So I immediately was like, great. Yeah, I'll say yes and, and come on. But uh, one is how do you filter through those requests? What, would you, what do you look for if you're representing someone who has limited time and is trying to get the most reach and most ROI from their effort? And then the other side is when you're pitching, Obviously, getting on 10 podcasts is not like there's a a handful of podcasts that I'd far rather be on than be on 100 of these other shows. So how do you think about which ones are going to get really good engagement? What do you look for?
1: Yeah, it's super interesting because we work with a wide variety at this point of people. So yeah, there's founders like you who maybe 10 shows a year would be huge wins for. And you kind of have like more of your pick of the litter. Like the fact that you can get on My First Million, which is like arguably one of the fastest growing, best shows in its space, you would just be looking for help then finding like more of the same. And once you're on a a show like My First Million, there's not many shows. There are some pretty big shows, like obviously like Joe Rogan or maybe like a How I Built This or something, but like there's not many shows you couldn't be on. And what we have found is like then on the other end, there's these. Most founders or a lot of founders that we have worked with, it's before they've made it big. So they kind of have to like blanket the industry in the 80%. It's kind of like what you said before. The first thing is, is your goal to be in the who's who of shows, Mm -hmm. in the top echelon of podcasts, or is it to blanket the industry? Your analogy with building shows before is like, you can reach the same amount of people by going on more shows. And you're reaching more of like the common person on all these shows, or you can just target these ones. And certain people for like a PR and brand perspective only want to be seen in these top big shows. So to be totally transparent with you, I don't know all the factors that go into it, but we run what's called the team runs, Josh and our team runs that service department and they have a lemon pie health score, which is basically a number of factors that goes into, it's almost like an Alexa number Mm -hmm. for like a website. Like these are all these things that dictate a podcast. There's no real way to know like exact downloads, for example, but one of the metrics we look at is number of reviews. So a good indicator is every X amount of reviews, roughly on average means X amount of downloads, unless the host is willing to share their numbers and, and a lot aren't. Yep. Looking at reviews, looking at who is the typical audience member of that show? Is that someone that you want to be reaching? Is this a message? The other big thing is for us, do you actually, is exploring the different audience types you could talk to and can you actually bring value there? Because one of the things we won't do is we can't align with anyone who thinks that a podcast tour or guesting is a 30-minute advertisement. Right. So do you actually have, like one of the earliest things we try and suss out is Do you have internal expertise? Do you have domain expertise in what you're talking about? And is this something that you actually can bring value to this audience? So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: What are your goals? Who are the people that you want to talk to? Do you have domain expertise, domain authority? Can you actually deliver value there? Like one of the ways we frame it is like, can you be one of the best interviews that they've ever had? Right. If we don't feel like you can be one of the top 10 episodes that show's ever released, it's kind of like inauthentic or insincere for us to suggest that you should go on because we don't just want to be like a spammy cold outreach agency. So, yeah, for someone like you, some people in your position that could be on all these shows would still choose to blanket the podcast ecosystem because they want the perception of being everywhere. Mm -hmm people make memes now and stuff, but like Blue Apron or like Manscape or now uh, Athletic Greens. It's like, oh my gosh, is there a podcast they don't sponsor? Like once you crack a thousand, like the ad team's like on you. But that's to give a perception of, gosh, these are everywhere. This is the 15th time across all these shows I'm listening to, mm-hmm. like this association of the de facto expert in the space. So there's that move you can do, or there's the other move of, I'm very busy. I can get on my first million. So, like, what other 10 after I get booked on that can I go to? And it's like a brand perception thing. But generally, like, there'll be a minimum threshold that's worth everyone's time. And there's a bunch of metrics that go into that. But one of the base ones for anyone listening is like, just go look at the number of reviews. If there's not any reviews or only a dozen or two, it's a good indicator. It's a fairly small show. Are people sharing? Like, you can do a lookup and like, are people sharing episodes of the show? Are they talking about it? There's a couple other things you can look at, but
0: yeah. That's good. It's fascinating because it's all about how do you spend time and there's a limited number of time that is the scarcest resource. And so then one thing that I'm trying to do is set aside a certain number of hours per week for podcasting, both for my show and then for guests. And then that way I'm just like, okay, and I'm still trying to figure out what that is. This week I'm spending, I think like eight hours on podcasts. And so it's like, okay, that's more than I want to normally spend while I'm running a a company. Yeah. But I'm also getting ahead for my show and, and things like that. So it's just figuring out what the system is so that it's the best ROI and I'm treating everyone well when they like ask to have me on an episode or or whatever else, but making sure it makes sense for the business.
1: Yeah, it also comes down to goals. Like we talked to one founder who their primary goal, like it was kind of funny, like their primary goal was to drive a ton of organic traffic to a couple like main pages that were like super optimized. And like their whole thing was to try and like rank in Google for these keyword terms, like drive organic leads and stuff. Right. So they did a podcast tour, like this wasn't with us, but they did a podcast tour simply to be like, Hey, when the show notes come out, can you link to this URL? Not that one, you know, and as a way of building just, so they're
0: just building backlinks
1: essentially. But then on the flip side, they were like, then they found when they had qualitative attribution that, the bulk of customers, it became like a top two or three lead channel for them. Just Mm -hmm. people hearing about them on these shows and coming over that so they didn't get into it for that reason, but then they found like, oh wow, we need to keep doing this for this reason. So it really comes down to goals. You know, like if that was your goal, you'd want to blanket with as many podcasts as possible. But yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. One question I have on this, I want to respect your time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up here that we could probably talk forever on this strategy stuff. But what advice would you give to any founders who do want to guest on other shows, like if they're getting hit up with opportunities. You've been on so many now. You've been in the podcasting ecosystem for longer than most. What makes a good interview to you? What are some advice that you can give for anyone going on other shows?
0: Yeah, the first thing is if you haven't done very many, I would start with the ones that probably don't feel worth the time because then you can refine your message and you can practice and just get a lot more confident. There's a lot of things like if I listen to an episode that I did five years ago or something, I'm like cringing. Messaging isn't very good. And I hope that five years from now, if I listen to an episode like this one, I'll listen back to my answers and cringe again because I've leveled up further. So I think the practice is worth a lot. And then once you get to the point where you feel like your message is dialed in, you have answers to most questions that come up, you're able to position your brand in the way that you want to, then it's probably not worth it to go on just any show that reaches out. What I look for is are they actually a fan of my work? Or is it just I was on this show and they reached out to every single guest of that show to have them on their own show? You know, yeah. Are they a converted customer? That's one like the number of times that if someone's a converted customer (laughs) and the show is not that big yet, I'll often come on anyway if I have time. And then trying to think what else. Those are probably the biggest things in how I decide what shows to go on as far as what makes a good interview. I think just figuring out what you want to talk about and and understand the show a little bit, right? Some shows really want to cover your whole life story. How did you start converting? What are you doing? What was this time period like? And I got to a point where it's like, okay, I've told that story so many times, like I want to talk about where we're going. And so I just did an episode last week on a show that was really fun, but that was a specific conversation we had at the beginning. It was like, hey, I'd like to do 10 minutes on the backstory. And the rest of the time on like present and then future. And they were all about that. So I, th- I think probably my last point there would be, don't feel like you have to follow the same script that the host wants to have. Or like a host will often ask, hey, is there anything in particular that you want to cover or anything you don't want to cover? And almost everyone is like, no, nah, I mean, wherever you want to take it is good. And if you say that, you can't be annoyed when they take it somewhere that you didn't want to go. <laughs> right. So right. like actually think about that and, and just answer like, oh, I don't know if this is what you had planned, but I'd love to cover my backstory in just a few minutes and then talk about these kinds of things. Yeah. Like actually, I guess, take responsibility for the content of the show, even if you're coming on as a guest. And uh, oh, the last thing that I like to do, which maybe this is too meta since I just did it to you, is <laughs> I like to ask the, ask the host questions. Because as a podcaster doing an interview show, big reason to do it is that you get to elevate your profile alongside the guest. I think some of the most annoying shows are when you get someone who's a relatively big name, and they just sit back and they answer questions. Mm. Right, so you ask them a question, they answer it, and that's it. Yeah, it's not a conversation. Yeah, and so something that I always try to do is think: what are things that I really want to learn from the host, and work that in, and ask those questions, and turn it into more of a conversation. This has been a conversation from the beginning, right? But make sure that that's the case because it's easier listening; it'll be a better episode, and. If there's something that I want to learn that as the guest that the host knows, probably the audience wants to learn that too. Yeah. And they might have come over. It's also like how can we make this more of a win-win for the host of the podcast, right? If I send this out to my email newsletter and people will come listen to it cuz oh, it's Nathan on this show, then how do I make sure that the that the host has enough airtime and opportunity to share their expertise so that um the fans who came for me then stay for the host and for the show and what that's all about. I love that. And then I think big picture, like people would just be like, Oh, that's awesome. And they'll want to have you on more shows and they'll, you know, you're just contributing to the ecosystem rather than just being like, Hey, what can I get out of this episode as a guest so that I can, I don't know, never think about that podcast again and move on to the next thing. Yeah. And it's like, no, like contribute. Don't just be, I don't know. A leech is too strong of a word, but you get
1: the idea. No, I really appreciate that. I was like, wow, I've never had anyone ask me a question on here before. Like that definitely was like, not like jarring is like a pleasant surprise. And to your point, and that's like a feel I'm really trying to develop increasingly with the show. I'm trying to work on my hosting and trying to make it more conversational. And that's something I have realized like in the shows I really enjoy is like there's varying levels of it, but there's always some level of interplay. It's never just like, here's a question now. A listen to the expert talk like there's always like a, a sharing or exchanging of ideas or thoughts or yeah i really love that one fun
0: thing that you can do is try to find what's something that you disagree on
1: oh i like right? that too. like
0: and it's hard to do because everyone wants to be agreeable and all that but things that you both sincerely believe that disagree and then have some conversation on that because then it has to be a conversation it's not just like ask a question yeah and all of that so and then you could check with the guest beforehand okay I was doing a bunch of research and I'm pretty sure you think this. I actually think this fairly strongly. Were you up for having a little friendly debate about it? Yeah. Live on the show. And then is there anything else you think we disagree about? Because then you can see where that goes. Yeah. And guests guests will enjoy it, but then also listeners uh, will enjoy it. Because otherwise everyone's just like, here's what we agree on. Here's the tips. Here's, you know, and it's like, all right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and to your point about, even like coming in and saying, "Here's some talking points." If you're getting bored about the same old narrative, like there was a period of time when, I mean, probably like anyone who's ever wanted to like bootstrap a SaaS product, I learned about Jason Freed. and I was like, "Oh, he does right. podcast interviews." So I mean, I must have listened to like I don't know, ten of them. Anyone I could, I would just typed in Jason Fried into Spotify, filtered by episodes, and like hit play yep. on everyone like in order. And after three or four, you're like, "Okay, has no one?" thought to ask him. And then you'd get ones in like 2020 or 2021, and they're still asking him the same things. You're like, you could go listen to this. You could summarize it in five minutes and ask all these other interesting things. So anyway, I'm a fan of that as well.
0: Well, you could get to the point where it's like you could do the episode, right? Where it's like, here are the five questions that everyone always asks Jason. And then you could be like, and here's what his answer would be. There's two things to take away from that. One is as an effective guest, you end up with these polished answers. Jason has mastered that has each answer is polished. It's been refined over years and years. And that's why when he comes on a show, he sounds really good and effective because it's not off the cuff. Like these are his same five core ideas about how to work, how to market, sales, you know, earning money, all of those things. He talks about each one. So that side is really good. <laughs> and then the other side, as a host, think more about your questions so that you can get to, I know you normally talk about this, demonstrate I know your content. I've heard you on three to five other shows. And so for this episode, I want to go deeper. You can even say, if someone wants Jason's story, listen to him on whatever podcast, because they covered his story really oh, well. Yeah, right. You don't know his story? Like, hit pause, go listen to that and come back. Okay, yeah. now I'm going to assume that you all know his story. And so Jason, you said this, and I want a deep dive on it. Yeah. And that'll be much better content.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more. And then the other thing is,
0: the guest will often share that and say, Great episode. They went deep on stuff I've never talked about before. Right. Yeah. I'm clicking that on Twitter. Someone says that, you know, I'm clicking that. I'm coming through rather than like, I was on another podcast. I talked about the same five things that I always talk about. Yeah. It's not nearly as interesting.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I like the point about disagreeing as well, except I just took a personality test and I'm very high in agree, or I'm moderate to high in agreeableness. So I'd have to look for things. And I don't want to make anyone mad. So I have to work on that skill as a host.
0: We can talk about how personality tests are nonsense. There you go. Uh, okay, I don't actually think that. I was just trying to find something to disagree
1: on. Uh, good stuff. All right. You are busy. You've been super gracious with your time. I do have two listener questions. We take, we're trying That's to good. take listener questions on LinkedIn. I love these. These are my favorite. So Jordan from LinkedIn asks, this is a three-parter. I've kind of covered this, but feel free to summarize anything. Why or how did you pick the three shows that you currently have for Kit? How are you differentiating your shows? How are you making them stand out? And why did you start your own show? We, we kind of covered all three of those. So I think we covered all of those. Anything you'd add there?
0: One last thing I'd add, because I was thinking through all the shows that we have. A lot of what we're doing with shows is repurposing content that already exists. The one show we didn't touch on is our creator stories show. And because the creator stories exist in a few different forms, they are, it's a written interview. It's actually four different forms of the same content, trying to get as much reach for it. So it's a written interview. That's what came first of like these written stories. We actually produce a book as this is on video. Ooh, five different formats, same content, five formats. I'm realizing. So it is a blog post that goes out on the website. That's item. Number one, those blog posts get reformatted into these books. This is called okay. I Am A Creator. Here's volume two, beautifully designed books going through it, all kinds of original.
1: Where do people get those books? Do you just send them to like new customers or they order them or what? We
0: send them to new customers. And then usually once a year, we'll do an announcement and a release. Oh, like wow. when the new volume comes out. So there's only cool. two volumes. It makes it sound like there's all these volumes. There's just, just two. It's still that. a cool idea. So there's that. The third format is video. And that's like a whole thing to produce, right? Of, I send a filmmaker out. We have uh, Henry. He's a full-time filmmaker on our team. He produces all of that content and films it. The fourth is audio. That is Issa who wrote the story, who heads up all of this. She just reads the story. She's a great narrating voice. She reads the story on audio form. So that ends up being the short form podcast. I think each episode is like 10 minutes long. And it's exactly the same thing, but being the audiobook version of uh, the written story. And then the fifth one, which I think is little Off topic, but very interesting is all of these stories. We hire a photographer to go out, you know, for all the written stories, original photography. We give all that photography to the creator, so you'll often see that they redesign their site later and use the photos that our photographer shot for them for their headshots and everything else. Oh, nice, which is awesome because it's a big gift to be able to give to uh creators, yeah. But then anyone who wants to, we have our own collection on Unsplash.
1: Oh, cool, so
0: a free stock photo website. And so we release these photos for free on Unsplash and they get used like crazy. There's an amazing creator, his name's Cortland Allen. He started a website and show and everything called Indie Hackers. And we did a story on him, which is featured in this book. And we did all this amazing original photography for it. His studio looks amazing where he podcasts. Those photos got released on Unsplash and they have millions of downloads now. That's amazing. Like, And so it's this whole ecosystem. How can we do this thing and get the most reach for it? And then the last thing is we're working on building our Unsplash collection into ConvertKit so that when you're looking for photos for your products, for your newsletter, whatever else, you can pull from this ecosystem of existing ConvertKit creators and it comes full circle. So I don't know what part of that answered the three-part question, but we're going to say it was a, a good enough answer.
1: Jordan, the whole episode answered your question hopefully, and I (laughs) hope that that helped in some way too. I am super excited actually. I might send you an email to to ask about the execution of that because that literally was like on my marketing plan that we're like going to execute and then if time and bandwidth allow test ideas. And I was like, there are not that many good like stock photos of people like podcasts and they're all kind of like cheesy and whatever. Right. So we were going to think about doing like a similar thing. So I, I love that. All right, Aaron asks who is a creator he has shout out to his podcast i think it's called seven minute stories i think it's called aaron asks was there a moment or specific series of events that ultimately led you to quit your job and focus on creating your own product if there was can you share that story
0: that's a good question so the last job that i had was in 2011. so it has been 11 years since i've been employed i was working as a software designer by a software company Good place to work as a software designer, I guess. And the thing that led up to it, the company was having some struggles. It was like, all right, it might be time to find another role. But leading up to that, we had been designing and building iOS apps. So we had an app as part of work for the company that um, was released the day the iPad came out, which is a really fun challenge to like design and build for a device that you didn't actually have yet. Yeah. So we did that, and then I wanted to keep learning. So I started building apps on the side. And I had a couple coworkers where I could go over to their house on like a Saturday afternoon and be like, "Hey, can you help me get unstuck with this, you know, side project?" And so, really, it was just I decided to go freelance, and I had these iPhone apps in the store that were making two to three thousand dollars a month. Wow! So, in uh, September 2011, I quit my job. It was actually right when my first kid was born, which I don't know if that's a great time to quit or not, but. It was like, you know what, we're changing everything in life. Like, let's just quit the job at the same time too. It all worked out. But really it was having side hustle going already, having money saved. That's the other thing. A lot of people do a side hustle so that they can then spend money on whatever else. And I did my side hustle and just saved all the money. And so then when it was time to quit, I had $20,000 saved up straight from the side hustle of selling apps. And that was a good way to go.
1: That's awesome. Well... This has been super good conversation. One of my favorites so far. I really, really appreciate your time. I'm sure I'm going to be looking for the My First. That gets recorded this week, the My First Million episode.
0: Yeah, we're recording on Thursday.
1: Nice. Do you have any idea when that releases or are they like, I, I imagine they're like quite a ways out. I think they might only be one week out. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. Yeah, they were telling me that Sam gets bored <laughs> because they record something and then they go to promote it a week later and Sam's already bored of it and He's moved on. And so they're like trying to decide how can they like release faster okay so anyway
1: cool good for them i would like terrify (laughs) me to be like one week at a time yeah all right thanks so much for your time we really appreciate it we'll connect a little bit later sounds good thank you Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If there's a company you'd like us to interview or a question you want us to answer on the show, just let us know. You can ask us at brandsthatpodcast.com or DM or tag LemonPie on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And if you want to reach your audience on podcasts that they're already listening to, be sure to check out LemonPie.fm.